from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you're interested in having your friends watch the show and they're not in the state, they can go to www.bornagainmormon.com, click on the show, and there's another little icon that says live streaming video. Click on that and you can watch it from anywhere in the world. Uh, a website announcement, we have a fantastic new uh, forum on the website, thanks to uh, miracle worker Andy, and uh, I suggest you get on the site, again, at www.bornagainmormon.com. It's a great uh, place to dialogue and express yourself, and uh, so go there. You can also, on the site, go to Andy's Christian, not the same Andy, Christian's movie reviews, and his recent is the, rec the Christian recommendation for the movie Cars. And uh, then there's also a page where you can get uh, read testimonies from former LDS, which are very insightful. And of course, you can watch all the past shows and the video archives. So if you go to www.bornagainmormon.com, you can get all that plus more for free. And uh, we invite you to be there. All right, in-house guests. We have Paula and Travis here in-house and uh, Dalton and Hannah at home. Uh, so a shout out to Dalton and Hannah and a hello to Paula and Travis. Shout outs also to Dennis Hansen, to uh, Dennis, my friend who gives me suckers. Thank you so much. And to uh, Terry and Helen, thank you. God bless you. Anna and her son Carson, who we saw at a restaurant this afternoon, who watched the show faithfully. Katrina from Brigham City. Lee and Christy. Lee's the uh, Cub Scout leader of Troop 4970, so we give a shout out to Lee and a God bless you to all of you. Reminder that Pastor Travis Mitchell at Sandy Ridge Community Church is, uh, began last week a seminar on the Trinity. It's a three-part series. If you really want to learn, you can go this Sunday at 11 a.m. to Sandy Ridge Community Church. And uh, the phone number there is 801-572-0044 or go to www.sandyridgechurch.com. Org. We have a lot of church recommendations on our site. You can go there if you're looking for something in your area, and we're trying to get out there so we can do more church recommendations. But I just want to make a mention of Calvary chapels in your area. I come from the Calvary Chapel training, and uh, I'm not saying you have to go to Calvary Chapel to be a good Christian. I like uh, Calvary Chapel, Mountain View Calvary Chapel, and American Fork with Pastor Joe McCormick, uh, Salt Lake City Calvary Chapel, Pastor Terry Long, Park City Calvary Chapel with uh, Pastor Joe Ellis, and Ogden Cal Calvary Chapel with Pastor Mark Gomez. I enjoy them because they are traditionally dedicated to teaching the, the Word verse by verse, and many other churches are too, but you can almost be certain when you go to uh, that uh, church that you're going to hear the Word preached. No denomination is perfect, no pastor is perfect, but it certainly is a place to go. We've got a lot of responses on the suicide rates in Utah. Many of you calling with, with uh, quotes about how high it is, but we also had people who took the time to email us and give us some, uh, some hard, cold statistics. And just to let you know, the question last week or the caller said, did you know that the suicide rates for teens, I believe they said, was the highest in the nation? And actually, the suicide rate, uh, uh, Utah is 10th. And ninth, depending on the year you look at, back in 1999 through till 2003 or 2004, they ranked 10th and 9th. The West ranks the highest in the nation uh, with Alaska, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, West Virginia beating Utah. And uh, they say that a lot of it has to do with 
the gun usage out here in the West and, uh, and then also with other factors that play into uh, Utah. But I still have yet to see anything that says Utah leads the nation in suicides. And we have to stick to facts so that when we have facts, they can't be disputed and, uh, and said that we're just picking on people. So I wanted to give you a follow-up on that. Some heart events coming up. Tonight, like last week, we're going to meet at Squatters Pub on 3rd South in Salt Lake City downtown. If you're in the area from 9.30 to 11, 9.30 to 11.30, whatever, show up at uh, Squatters Pub. They have great food. You don't have to drink alcohol to go there. I don't, and, but if you want, you can. And we just talk about the Lord. If you have questions about Mormonism, whatever, Squatters Pub tonight. Um, we had a good group show up last week and love to have a, uh, more this week. Our Sunday, July 8th, Heart in the Park. Please plan for that. Set time aside to come. Enjoy a great worship, food, open microphone, and fellowship. And um, hopefully we'll have the best of Heart of the Matter 2006 available on DVD for you at that time. We're working on getting those together. We're going back through all 43 shows from last year. We're picking the highlights, the most humorous, where I get the most angry, where we talk about the best uh, doctrinal issues, colors are the most ridiculous, and we're putting them together on a one DVD thing, and we think it'll be fun to have. Finally, on August 10th, will be our first annual Heart on the Sea. If you're interested in spending two days uh, hunting for wild game out on the ocean in Mexican waters, uh, come join us, and you just go to uh, J-E-R-M underscore Rob at Yahoo.com, like we've announced. There was a PBS special that started last night. This beard is driving me crazy, but I'm keeping it for a full year. Uh, there was a special last night that started on PBS, a two-hour special. It's again airing tonight and uh, called The Mormons. I watched part of it, and I've gotten emails saying, what did you think? And I think that the devil lies in the details and that general approaches to things uh, offer general belief. And so I didn't really appreciate it because it didn't really give a lot of things that really made uh, and make Mormonism unique. And so that, that's my view on it. I think it was entertaining. I think it was well done. It was very artistic, in fact. But, um, but as far as the, um, the real essentials, I think they were missed. Um, and I'd like to say something relative to a reprehensible trend I see going on uh, online. And that is that some LDS apologists are choosing and deciding to label me the anti-Mormon or anti-Mormon. And even though I've made it perfectly clear that I'm not anti-Mormon, um, that I love Mormon people, uh, in fact, I even like the Mormon church in some ways. My family is LDS, and I think there are many people who are LDS who are in good standing with the Lord, which is different for any other Christian uh, uh, outreach to the LDS. The critics don't believe this is enough. And so they insist on adding their label to me. Can a person question Mormonism and not be called anti-Mormon? No, they cannot, according to these guys. All it takes to keep a majority of the LDS people from seeing the truth is to label the information anti-Mormon and, and Latter-day Saints who might be searching automatically shut their doors and shut their blinds and don't look at anything else. And it's a tool that's used by people in the church to keep people from looking at the truth. So I've decided by virtue of our ministry to fight fire with fire. And as far as I'm concerned, any member of the LDS church who claims that the church that Jesus established was taken from this earth and that Joseph Smith had to restore it is anti-Christian. 
You're an anti-Christian if you believe that a church had to be restored to this earth. That's anti-Christian. You call me an anti-Mormon, I'm calling you, Latter-day Saint believer, that the church that Jesus uh, had on this earth had to be restored. You're an anti-Christian, and I'm going to call you an anti-Christian every time. How does that feel? Do you like that? That's not very fun, is it? You know, you're anti-Christian, all right? You're anti-Christian if you say you're the only true church on the face of this earth. If you ever say you're the only true church on the face of this earth, you're anti-Christian. You anti-Christian. It's wrong of you, you anti-Christian. And uh, if you uh, say that temple rights are necessary for people to go to live with God, you're anti-Christian. That was never part of going to live with God according to the Bible. That's anti-Christian. It's going to go on and on and on. You insist on using these labels to control the minds of your followers, then we will turn around and use labels with you. It's just as valid. You claim that the church Jesus established is not right. Christians believe it is. You're anti-Christian when you say the opposite. I know it's kind of ugly. I say it somewhat, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But nevertheless, let's get rid of the labels. And if you insist on using them with me, I would challenge anybody who works with LDS who are using the term anti-Mormon to use the term anti-Christian. In LDS tactics, it's only fair. Now, if it's possible, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we ask you to be with us, be with the viewers, our audience, our staff, the camera people, the operators. Help me in uh, the message I'm going to deliver and uh, to say the things you want me to and to explain some difficult to understand aspects of the Book of Mormon tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three booklets that were given to me by the missionaries recently. And all of them, you'll notice, this is called the Plan of Salvation. It has Jesus on the cover. This one is called the Restoration, and it has Jesus on the cover. And this one is called the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and it has Jesus on the cover. These are what the missionaries are giving out. And I've always maintained that the Book of Mormon is bait for the LDS Church, that they use the Book of Mormon to get people hooked into that Mormonism must be true if this book is true, and they don't lead with the Bible, or if they do, it's another way to get people to check the Book of Mormon out. Now on the back of these, the question is asked, what should I do on all three of them? And one of them says, what should I do? And it says, first suggestion, read the Book of Mormon. The second suggestion, pray to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet and the Book of Mormon's the Word of God. Then it goes on to say, attend church, do some other things. This uh, next one says, what should I do? And it says, read the Book of Mormon. And then it says, pray to know what the missionaries have taught is true. And finally, the next one says, what should I do? And it says, read the Book of Mormon. And it says, pray to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Now, I want you to know that nowhere do the LDS challenge anyone to read their Bible. They challenge them to read the Book of Mormon, and this is indicative of how they believe the Book of Mormon is superior, and that when people read that and see what it consists of, they will automatically believe that the LDS Church is true. Well, we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon more tonight. In the past, we've talked about how Joseph Smith included the uh, 19th century theme, political themes of tyranny and um, and anarchy in the Book of Mormon. We've talked about various religious themes and even phrases that were used in the Christian revivalistic church at the time that Joseph Smith incorporated into the Book of Mormon. We've talked about anti-Catholic themes. We've talked about anti-Mason themes. We've talked about Joseph Smith's own name being put in the Book of Mormon and, a relic and an assortment of restorationist ideas that were also included in the Book of Mormon. 
Tonight we're going to examine how Joseph used the Bible in the Book of Mormon. And there are several different ways he did that, some of them more complex than others. Let's begin by looking at the obvious, the writing style Joseph Smith used to bring out the Book of Mormon. It's called Elizabethan English, all right? And it came straight from where? It came straight from the Bible, all right? Now, contrary to some, what some very ridiculous notions are within Mormon church, in elders quorum, elders quorum meetings or in, in seminary classes, Joseph Smith's family did not speak in Elizabethan English at their time of their lives, okay? Uh, that's one of the things that I've heard bannered around that the Book of Mormon was written in Elizabethan English because Joseph and his family spoke that way. Father, hast thou been true to thine obligations on thy farm? Why, nay, saith the sullen father, nay. That is not how they talked, okay? The Smith family wrote and spoke in an early American rural English, which may have sounded something like how a religiously verbose hillbilly would have talked. That's how they talked. And, and everybody who wasn't educated talked that way. I seed a very, very heavenly light. I thought it had been straight from God. They talked in kind of a hillbilly way, and they talked a lot about God. Why would Joseph Smith translate the Book of Mormon from Golden Plates into King's English? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I would guess that he thought it would make it sound more biblical, you know, that it reads like the Bible, therefore it must be like the Bible. Um, I don't know why he did that, but I believe it was part of the ruse, and I think it's interesting that he did. But remember the Book of Mormon was written in a language called Reformed Egyptian. So Joseph Smith supposedly has the plates, and he translates Reformed Egyptian, written 600 years before Christ, and even and later, and he translates that Reformed Egyptian into King's English, which the Bible, the King's James Bible, was written in 1611, I believe. So it would be ridiculous to use that style of language in a book that's being translated from Reformed Egyptian. Nevertheless, he did. But that isn't all. There's also actual verbatim verses that are in the Book of Mormon that come straight from the Bible. Okay? The only reasonable explanation for direct quotes to come from the King James Version of the Bible and to be placed in the, from the mouths of ancient Nephite prophets would be that Joseph borrowed, stole, or plagiarized straight from the King James Bible. There is no other explanation for this. Okay? I don't recall ever being taught this when I was in primary or in seminary or anywhere else as to how verbatim quotes are put in the Bible. Now, you got to listen closely here, and I have this whole thing written out, but I'm going to try to explain it without looking at my notes because uh, I'm not sure the notes do it justice, okay? The writings for the New Testament began about 50 years after the birth of Jesus. So when I do this, this is the birth of Jesus. The writings for the New Testament began after the birth of Jesus, and they were written in Greek, okay? And from the Greek, those writings were carried forward, and then they were translated into Latin, into the Vulgate. And then from Latin, they were translated into German. And then from German, they were translated into English. I'm just giving you the, the pedigree of how we got the Bible in King's English today, all right? So it went from Greek to 
to these different languages. And finally, the, uh, King James says, let's get one that's in English. And we, and we have all these scholars assigned to it, which I trusted did a, a fantastic job. And we get the King's English. Now you have the Book of Mormon. Here's Jesus' birth. 600 years before Jesus is born, 600 years before we know what Greek is on the American continent, Joseph has 1st Nephi, 2nd Nephi speaking in King's English in words that were recorded in Greek 50 years after Jesus was born. He takes them and so he has like the prophet Nephi speaking in King's English and he's quoting directly from the Bible, from the uh, King James Version of the Bible. It's an impossibility for this prophet back here to be speaking in this King's English from a book that had been translated so many times to get us in the English in the first place. Okay, Mark 3, 5, just as an example, states, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. That's Mark 3, 5. Being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. In the King's English, this was translated from the Greek. And the Greek says, Sun lupumenos ipe tai porosai tes cardias utan. Okay, now, a direct translation from the Greek of those words from the Greek into English would say, grieving hard upon heart themselves. All right? The King's English in the King James says, Mark 3 5, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. But the literal Greek translation says, grieving hard upon heart themselves. All right? Now remember, the Greek New Testament started to be written 50 years uh, CE. It was written in Greek, translated into Latin, and, in the, and then into German, and then into King's English. If you've ever taken Spanish, you know that in the Spanish language it would say, um, we say the red ball, but the Spanish language will say the ball red. And you have to switch the words around to make it make sense. That's the same way it is in Greek. You have to switch those words around to make it make sense. So we know that when Joseph was supposedly translating from this record way back over here, 600 years B.C., and putting it into supposedly the mouth of the prophets that were living at that time and giving them verbatim sentences that were translated into the English from the Greek in 1611, we know that this was copying. This was plagiarism. And if you want some examples, let me give them to you, okay? Um, and I'm just going to, there's 157 that Michael Marquardt, a scholar here in Salt Lake City and a friend of mine, uses. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, it says the mysteries of God. Uh, in the New Testament, the mysteries of God. Being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. Being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. I know of a surety that the Lord hath. I know of a surety that the Lord hath. 1 Nephi 7.11, back 600 years before Christ. Nephi says, great things the Lord hath done for us. Mark says, great things the Lord hath done for thee. Uh, the natural branches are in 1 Nephi. The natural branches are in Romans. Should be grafted in is in Romans. Should be grafted in is in 1 Nephi, 600 years before. We go on, all those who seek diligently seek him. Of them that seek diligently seek him. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. If you read the Greek of the same yesterday, today, and forever, it would not read that way. And yet it's in the Book of Mormon as though that was what these ancient prophets were saying. It's a complete indictment. It's a complete indictment on the, on the historicity and on the, uh, the strength of the Book of Mormon. Complete. 
And if you continue to take that book and believe it was translated from golden plates in light of evidence like this, you just have to want to believe something that is not true because it fits your lifestyle, because it makes you feel comfortable with your family. You have to be putting blinders on right now or getting extremely mad at me and saying I'm of the devil because I'm bringing forth to you how that Book of Mormon was put together. You've got to open your eyes, all right? To clarify, it would be like me saying that I found a 2,000-year-old book in my backyard, I've used this example before, and that I translated it. And I promise you it's an old record and I've translated it and you've got to read it. And you pick up and you start reading it and you read about a general on the stand who says, you can't handle the truth. And then you read a little bit further and you read Boeing 747, McDonald's Happy Cup, and uh, microwave popcorn, all right? That's in my ancient translation. It's the equivalent. You can't dispute it. And it's all through the Book of Mormon. They're called anachronisms, all right? In addition to the hundreds of exact anachronistic phrases that have been taken from the Bible and placed in the Book of Mormon, Joseph also took five full chapters right out of the biblical record and stuck them in the book. By the way, some of those chapters have errors in them. When they translated the Bible back in 1611, and King James guys did it, they did a good job, but there were some things. And as scholars have gotten older manuscripts, they've gone and seen, wait, this word wasn't right. Now, the Book of Mormon contains the, the King James Version errors that later scholars have said, these errors are clarified by older doc, uh, documents. Okay, how much more do you want? How much more do you want? Okay, 3 Nephi 12, 13, 14, 24, and 25, they quote the Bible verbatim. And then the, the book of Isaiah is taken out uh, greatly in the Book of Mormon. And then there are biblical themes running throughout the Book of Mormon. Uh, it, uh, for instance, the book of Exodus. The Exodus is a biblical theme. And uh, there's other ones. Grant Palmer in his book, Insider's View of Mormon Origins, I highly recommend that book. Um, he does some comparisons. Let me give you some. In the Book of Mormon, in Alma 19, Joseph Smith includes a story about a man named Lamoni who is dying. Lamoni's wife sends for the righteous Nephite character Ammon to speak to him. And it says there in this record that he stinketh, meaning that his body is corroding. And Ammon says he's not dead but sleepeth and he shall rise again. Then Ammon says to his wife, Believest thou this? And she says back to him, and she said unto him, I believe, and he rose. Okay? Now let's go to the Bible when Lazarus is uh, found dead in the tomb, or is in the tomb. And they sent for Jesus, and Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, for Lazarus sleepeth. Jesus said also, Thy brother shall rise again, and asked, Believest thou this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord. And she also said, He stinketh. Okay, now listen. The phrase, he stinketh, appears once in the Bible and once in the Book of Mormon. The words, he stinketh and he sleepeth, are found together only in these two chapters. The seven-word phrase, believeth thou this, she said unto him, appears only in John and only in Alma. Here is a question for you. Were these phrases on golden plates written anciently by Nephites, or were they taken from another source, like everything else we've showed you this past five or six weeks? You know the answer, but are you willing to let it germinate in your head and heart? 
Let's take one more. Consider the Book of Mormon character Alma the Younger and the biblical figure Paul. Listen to these uh, comparisons. Both men were wicked before they were dramatically converted. Both traveled about persecuting and seeking to destroy the church of God. Both were persecuting the church when they saw a heavenly vision. Both had companions fall to the earth while they were, uh, and they were not able to understand the voice that was uh, speaking above them. All right? Both were asked in a vision why they persecuted the Lord. Both were struck dumb or blind, causing helplessness, and were assisted by their companions. Both went without, went without food before converting. Both then preached the gospel and performed the same miracle in the Book of Mormon and in the Bible. Both supported themselves by their own labors. Both were put in prison, and after they prayed, an earthquake resulted in their bands being loosed. You want plagiarism? This is point-by-point point plagiarism. Both use the same exact phrases in their exhortations, and there are a number of them. Remember, Alma the Younger was supposed to have been tooling around the ancient Americas more than a hundred years before Jesus was even born. And the Book of Mormon has him speaking the same words that Paul spoke after the death and resurrection of the Lord. What time do we got? You want more? We have two minutes. Let me give you one more. Joseph didn't limit his plagiarisms and official... Uh, to the Bible itself. He also went into the uh, Apocrypha. Now, let me explain to you quickly what the Apocrypha were, was. The word Apocrypha means hidden or spurious, and it's a name given to ancient books were, which were included in the Septuagint. Okay, the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Bible, and for some reason they included the Apocryphal books in the Septuagint. Now, these books later on were not included in the Bible that we have today for a number of very good reasons. They were, uh, they were in the many of the great Bibles back in, in the 1600s and before, but thereafter it found that they were not inspired. They were not quoted by the New Testament writers at all. Jesus never uh, quoted from an apocryphal book. There's one reference where maybe an apocryphal book was quoted. These books were written in, he, uh, in Hebrew were not written in Hebrew, but in the Greek during the period of silence, the intertestamentary period between the time of the end of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament. Okay, so the New Testament Apocrypha consists in some very extensive literature, but it is not scripture, all right? Anyway, in the Apocrypha, there is a story, called, there's a book called The Story of Judith, all right? These are in the Apocryphal books. And Palmer compares this Apocryphal work to the story of Judith, with the story of Laban in the Book of Mormon. Now here's how it plays out. Listen to the similarities. This is a story taken from the Apocrypha. Judith of the Apocrypha and Nephi of the Book of Mormon are both servants of God. Judith encounters Holofernes and seeks, who seeks to destroy God's people. Nephi encounters Laban who is antithetical to the good of the people. And it's interesting that the name Laban is found in an Apocryphal book, by the way. The name Laban that is used in the Book of Mormon. All right. Both Judith and Nephi leave or enter the city by night. Both find Holofernes and Laban on the ground drunk and asleep with wine. Both Judith and Nephi take their respective target by the hair and cut their head off with swords. Both of them take the dead men's possessions and return to the people rejoicing. And both, while they're celebrating their success, offer burnt offerings to the Lord. The story of Laban, uh, Nephi going into Laban is an apocryphal story and it's in the book of Judith and Joseph lifted it like he lifted all the other stuff and put it into this book that unfortunately teaches a lot of good Christian things in a very 
complex story. And so you read it and you think, wow, it must have come from golden plates. It did not come from golden plates. The, the evidence is mounting, my brothers and sisters. If you just listen to the past six shows, you'll see it's mounting. And it should be more than apparent to you by now where the translation of the Book of Mormon came from. I'm not saying that the book doesn't contain the good stuff. You, that argument is dead with me. But I am saying that when you see the origin and source of the information, it's worthy of abandonment. Why? Because it's bait. And when you accept that Book of Mormon and what it took to put it together and you say it's true, then you go and you accept everything else and then you lead down a path which is so opposite what is in the Bible. And that's the hook of this literature that says pray to know it's true and everything else. Let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Callers, please limit your, uh, your calls to a question that has a purpose and, uh, and turn off your television sets. And uh, if, please don't call in if you've called in in the past few weeks. We're going to Chris, a first-time caller in Logan. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Listen, I've uh, been out of the church now for almost two years. I sent him a resignation letter. And I've, for the last uh, six, seven years, I've done a lot of research trying to find out exactly what Reformed Egyptian is. You were mentioning that at the beginning of the show. And I've done an exhaustive search on the Internet and, uh, you know, actually done some studies on it. And the only thing I can actually find is stuff from the church. Uh, do you know of any other sources that actually talk about so-called Reformed Egyptian besides the uh, LDS Church? Great question, Chris. I know of none. I remember seeing that uh, there's a video by the Living Hope Ministries up in Brigham City do such a good job, and they have the Egyptologists on there and experts, and they're like, Reformed Egyptian? What's that? I mean, it was just, uh, I think, a made-up language, to tell you the truth. But no, I know of no source. So if Reformed Egyptian is spurious and somewhat doubtful, uh, that would basically lead credence to, you know, also, the rest of the account of the Book of Mormon is also uh, just made up. Yeah, I would think it, it definitely adds to the pot. And I haven't even talked about Reformed Egyptian. I wasn't planning to, but that's good you brought it up. It's just another uh, log on the fire. All right. Well, hey. look, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, dude. I was the big guy that I met you at the uh, uh, the Church here in Logan, at the uh, Presbyterian Church that you had such fun at. <laughs> uh, I don't remember which big guy you were, but I'm sure you were really nice. Well, I always try to be. But look, hey, great talking to you. Great show. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Sorry, I don't remember the, the exact big guy, but his voice sounded familiar. All right, let's go to Paul in Orem. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello there. Paul. Hey, the second time I called you way back a bit, and then I saw you at the Evangelical Church down here in Orem. But oh, awesome. Anyway, I, I read your book, and then I... I read a little book by, uh, it's called Eternal Security. Huh. You recognize the name? I recognize Charles, that title. Who wrote it? Charles Stanley. Oh, wow. And yep. I just wondered if you'd read that because emphasis mine on all his comments in the book, sort of like you did in yours. Uh-huh. Anyway. I haven't read it, but you recommend it? Yes, I do, especially a part in it. Uh, called Hebrews, a unique situation. 
Uh-huh. If you read that, and uh, and if most Mormons would read it, then go ahead and read Hebrews in the New Testament. They would see how they are like back then, where the <clears throat> Jews at the time who became Christians fell back into their Jewish ways and were more comfortable by going back to the comforts that they, you know, the comforts of the church as it was for them as they were Jews. Sure. And 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 going by Moses law. Huh. Uh, I'll have to uh, check that. Mormons, Will you do me a favor and send me that title? Hmm? Email me that title. The title? Yeah, just email it to me, and that way I have it, Charles Stanley, and we can, uh, maybe we should start a, like an Oprah book club, a Heart of the Matter book Good. club. Did you mention that you like to get books out of old bookstores and stuff? Oh, yeah, all the time. My hobby, and, and I got this book for like 69 cents, you know, but anyway. <laughs> it's a bargain, too. All right, man, thank you for the, for the heads up. Okay, it's okay, God bless. Stanley, Eternal Security. We'll check it out. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Eternal security is a unique concept. It's very uh, Calvinistic, but, uh, you know, Charles Stanley is a great preacher. He helped me come to the Lord, actually, so I have to check that out. All right, we're going to Mike on line four, first-time caller from Sandy. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Good. Hey, I just got a quick comment. Uh, my brother, he goes to the Rock Church in Sandy. Yeah. Uh, my church is uh, just the mountains and stuff, but... Um, your church is the mountains? What? Your church is the mountains? My church is the mountains, yeah. Okay. I just go out there and commune with the big man, whoever he is or whatever he is. Okay. But I, I like uh, what you've been saying, and I follow you, and we like watching you, and I, we're just, me and my brother, we're just, like, with you. Awesome, man. So I like everything you've been saying, and I keep doing good work. Hey, thanks. I would love to talk with you one-on-one -on -one about uh, what you do in the mountains. Uh, someone well, I, who... go, I go snowshoe, and I just go hiking. I just commune with the... I'm like an old throwback to the hippie days. That's all right. I, I think, you know, I tell you, there's no better cathedral on earth than God's creations. I wish we could, uh, we could somehow incorporate that into our, our daily exactly. worship. Yeah, I agree with you. I'd like to talk to you about that sometime. Well, why do, you, uh, do you go to the Rock Church very often? Every now and then I'll, I'm, I'm able to get there. Okay, but I just uh, keep doing my thing and you keep doing yours. Or you're doing a great job. All right, brother, take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. I couldn't read you. All right, we're going to Jerry, first-time caller from uh, Tooele. Jerry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, this is the first time I called. I've only been watching your show for about 10 minutes, channel surfing. Wow. But, um, well, welcome. I caught your show, and I caught your show, and I just about got dunked. Um, I don't know, must have been ten years ago. I started studying that, and I found all the information you found, except I found uh, something where it said our copyright laws. They don't want that on there. The copyright laws came from the Book of Mormon because Joseph Smith stole that book from an author that was going to sell it as a fictional novel. Have you ever read anything like that? I haven't read the stealing of it uh, and the copyright, tie into the copyright. I've read some things on the copyright laws causing him to name, put his name as author. And uh, I've read, of course, about him borrowing from uh, different pieces of literature, which we're going to cover next week, View of the Hebrews and others. But I didn't know there was a connection there. Okay, I was, I was just checking into it. I... 
I had a video put in my mailbox here a couple of weeks ago that I was just amazed with. I don't know how many people got it, but did you like that? Oh man, that was good. Well, for those video people, you just heard someone who really enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of different responses on that, so that's great to hear. Yeah, that that was excellent. I couldn't believe how well put together that video was. All right. And anybody, I don't care if you're Mormon or Baptist or Calvin or who, if you get that video or you can find it, watch it. It's it's worth the time. All right. Thanks so much, Jerry. Hey, and keep watching. Tell your friends about it. How how often are you guys on TV? I mean, I was just channel surfing. Oh, uh, yeah. Every Tuesday night is live from 8 to 9, and then we replay this show on Tuesday mornings of the following week from 11 to 12. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to Mark, first-time caller in Magna, Utah. Mark from Magna, you're in Heart of the Matter. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, listen, I uh, get right to my question tonight. Um, okay. Back in the late '70s, I wrote a, or I read a book called "Who Really Wrote the Book of Mormon," uh-huh. and I don't recall the author, but uh, what it did was it outlined the life of uh, a man called Samuel Spaulding. Yeah. And um, he claimed that. He lived around the Smith family at the time that, uh, I don't know if they were in New York or where they were, but anyway, he was a neighbor, I guess, of them. And what he claimed in that book was that the, he was writing a manuscript for a book of fiction about the peoples of uh, North America. Uh-huh. And uh, he claimed that those manuscripts were stolen from him and that uh, it wasn't too long after that that the Book of Mormon, Joseph, or, you know, Joseph Smith came out with the Book of Mormon. And after he took a look at that you know, the Book of Mormon, he said that, that that was the book that he had written, but it was just with the religious inserts, that, you know, here and there that had been put in. I was wondering if you'd ever read that book or what you... You, you know, I have that book at home. Someone mailed it to me, ironically, about uh, three weeks ago, and uh, I started to read it, but the problem with it is uh, it has a lot of stuff that's just inaccurate. But you know, some of the stuff is good, like, for instance, that uh, Sidney Rigdon worked at the printing press where the Solomon Spaulding manuscript was uh, stolen from. Mm-hmm. And then Sidney Rigdon, of course, became the right-hand man of Joseph Smith in the early days of the church. So there are some connections that I think were good, but I think that it's difficult to prove them. And so scholars have turned to view of the Hebrews as a more reliable source of literature from which Joseph Smith uh, stole from. But it doesn't mean that you're not right or that the author of that book's not right. It's just the book, it, he uses some, he goes to some extremes that are just, uh, they fall in, you know, unprovable uh, theories that are presented as fact. Okay, I see. Well, thanks, John. I wanted to say that me and my wife watch every week. We really appreciate what you're doing. And... Hey, great. God bless you. Thanks for calling. All right, Sean. Thanks. Good okay, night. Okay, bye-bye. We have Marie in Springville, but before we do, I have to read this, this email. It just cracks me up. This email says, what a joke. You do this so your fat head of yours can be bigger, but too bad of you that most people can see through it. That just leaves the weak and misinformed to buy into what you're peddling, and it's not Christ that you promote. Sure, people like you say his name a lot and pat yourselves on the back, but (laughs) how you're saved from sin but that, doesn't, uh, ha- that it doesn't have to include work. That's what you practically preach is hate and anti-Mormonism. You're probably one of those guys who went out and bought a Harley because you were having a midlife crisis. 
and ride it up and down the streets of Huntington Beach in your leathers when it's 90 degrees and you think it's cool to do it. What a loser. It would really suck to be you. And it goes on. So I write the guy back and I said, um, because I have been saved from my sins, I am under humble obligation to accept your comments in his name. And he writes me back and says, accept comments in his name. What are you talking about? You're a nut. You must have smoked pot or drank a lot of something when you were younger. What a dumb ASS. So these are the type of people that are coming. I just cracked up when I read that guy. And um, I want you to know that you think I'm anti-Christ and I'm not teaching and trying to get people to come to Christ. But that is the purpose of this. Now you think that coming to Christ would be okay in the LDS church. It should be okay anywhere. But it's just not. Because the Jesus of the Bible, if you read it, is very different, and his salvation and his peace and comfort that he offers is very different from what you are hooked into and given in Mormonism. And this is why we do it. I want my LDS family and friends, I even want this young man, Eric J., I want him to come to know the Lord and have the liberty in Christ and the love of Christ and the peace that comes with true conversion through him. Okay, so let's go to uh, Marie uh, on line four from Springville. Marie, first time caller. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Hey, um, I was raised Mormon, but haven't been in the church for a long time and was talking to a friend at work today and heard something that I guess I forgot learning about in primary. And that was that the Garden of Eden is in Missouri. Yeah. And that um, before the second coming, that all the Mormons are going to go on some trek and rebuild the temple there, and it's going to be the new Jerusalem or something. And I was shocked and wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, uh, I'm probably older than you, but when I was younger, they used to talk about that, and everyone was kind of anxiously waiting for Salt Lake to say, it's time, you know, load up your bicycles because there's not going to be gasoline or whatever, and get back to Missouri. You know, and it's because Joseph Smith dedicated that land to become the new Jerusalem, and uh, the LDS... They just kind of look to that as being the gathering place in the last days. I think they've kind of stopped talking about that from the pulpit because uh, they're not sure that Joseph was really, uh, this was one of his true things, uh, but definitely was part of our culture at one time. I think it's but still taught. that was where the Garden of Eden was? Oh, yeah. They believe, Mormonism is the perfect American religion. Everything is America. I mean, this is the promised land. This is the new Jerusalem. The Garden of Eden was here. Uh, Jesus even came here. I mean, it is, America is everything. And it actually kind of rewrote and gave us a new biblical story and called it uh, the Book of Mormon. And, and the theology is really centered on America. Yeah, well, well I, I don't know what to say when somebody tells me something so crazy. I just want to tell them, do you hear yourself? You're crazy. Yeah. You know, but I don't want to offend them either. So I, I don't know what to say about things like that. Can I ask you something? Have you, uh, do you uh, go to church in another place now? I do, yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, you just share the love of Jesus with them and share the word. Don't do what I do. I say that all the time. This is a show to, to get people to think. But when I'm sitting on a plane or talking with my neighbors, I don't go hot like this. Just tell them, you know, I think you, if you understood the word of God, the Garden of Eden was, it says it was, uh, it, it was surrounded by the Tigris and the Euphrates, which are rivers that are in Iran or Iraq. And, I mean, we just know that's where it was. But Joseph got people to believe almost anything. Right. Yeah. Good call. Thank you. 
I, uh, I appreciate your comments, and we've watched faithfully, and we've been a couple of your heart in the churches, and we appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Carl, first-time caller in Provo. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, well, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm Lutheran, and I've been... My friends have some missionaries over, and they've been teaching them about, you know, archaeological things down in, you know, Central America and oh. how they, you know, they prove things like with, you know, animals that they have found, I guess, and roads and cities that, you know, apparently had temples. And, oh. you know, I was just wondering, you know, and it, it's supposed to match with the Book of Mormon, you know, and, and I was kind of confused on the matter, so I was wondering, could you help me out on this or? Yes. It is all a bunch of crud. Bunch of crud. There is not one single archaeological evidence to the Book of Mormon. There's not one single coin. There is not one single temple that they can tie to the Book of Mormon times or people. There is not one animal that they could find. The Kirlam and all those other animals of the Book of Mormon are not uh, uh, historically correct. And if you find a, uh, an LDS scholar, uh, even maybe even from farms on BYU campus, they'll even agree that there are no archaeological evidences. The Smithsonian has come out with a letter stating there is, there is nothing to say that the Book of Mormon's historicity is correct. The missionaries are speaking of myth. And how they do it is they say, well, you know, that rock over there that they found in Peru that had a little dip in it, that could have been Nephi's. It could have been. So, you know, that could be archaeological evidence, but it is just hyperbole, and it's just them selling you a bill of goods. Okay, so, you know, the pictures of stones with elephants, I, I, don't, I, you know, I'm, I don't know if that's, you know, correct at all. If, stone, if there is a picture, an actual, high, uh, what is it, hieroglyphic? Hieroglyphic of an elephant on a stone wall that dates back to... Um, uh, Book of Mormon times, uh, you're going to find an explanation for it. Like it came back before Book of Mormon times, like it was uh, a, masted, a ma woolly mammoth or something like that. You'll find an explanation if you look at the picture, do the research online, find out what it is from, and you will discover it has absolutely nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. Huh. Yep. It takes a little work because their promises, you know, I always say there's hope in their words and emotion in their eyes, and they're, they're promising you. They're just telling you it's true. It's just true, and they get to you. But you have to do your homework, and you'll find it's just all hope in their, on their part, but none of it is fact. Huh. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot, Carl. Hey, you have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. We're going to Charlie, first-time caller from Salt Lake City. Charlie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean McCready, it is an honor to speak to the host of the greatest show on earth. <laughs> I'm I, not kidding you. Really? Look, I've, uh, I've lived in Utah about 30 years. I've got a lot of Mormon friends. I know that the Book of Mormon's not true. They know the Book of Mormon's not true. Uh, they know that Joseph Smith was not a prophet. Uh, when you talk to these guys one-on-one, -on -one, by themselves, and you point out some of these things, the uh, about the oh, the scientific evidence, right. common sense. You can see the wheels spinning. You can see the lump getting their throat. 
and all they want to do is stick their fingers in their ears and start chanting, it's not true, it's not true. So living in Utah for 30 years, I find it entertaining. Is that how you deal with it, entertainment? I do. <laughs> I really do. I appreciate your show, and uh, I just wanted to get in and say hi. Hey, Charlie, thanks so much. Okay, you have a good night. You too. God bless you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. One of the things that got me on the road to saying, wow, there's something really wrong, was years ago when I was in, uh, in semina teaching seminary with the youth and, and uh, even in the bishopric and things, our home was always open to kids. And uh, we had youth over all the time. And then with the youth, sometimes adults would come on Sunday nights and they would hang out sometimes until four in the morning. We would sit up and we would talk. And always, when all the stuff can fade away and people can just be who they are, always there was someone who said, you know, I just don't really think this is right. I don't believe it, but I, what can I do? You know, and they would always make these private confessions. And I'm talking about some people who were up there along the lines. And I believe truly that what they think is, this is the best thing on earth. And this is the best organization on earth. And even though I don't believe it's true completely, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus died uh, for sins. I'm just going to have to accept it and move on with it. They don't re the reason they make that declaration for their, and decision for themselves is because they haven't experienced Jesus firsthand. And when they do, their lives change and they understand things differently and they won't make that excuse any longer. And so that's why we plead to you that you really give Jesus a chance in your life and come to know him and him alone. All right, let's go to Linda, first time caller from Brigham. Linda, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm good. I just want to thank you for what you are doing. Um, I was raised LDS, and at 15 years old, I decided this wasn't for me, and I went down a long road of drugs and who knows what until I was 43 years old, and I came to Jesus, and right. I thank you so much. Praise but, God. Go ahead. Oh, I said praise God. Oh, yeah, me too. Praise God. I am sitting with a person, my sister-in-law, who mailed out those DVDs, Jesus Christ versus Joseph Smith. Wow. And God be praise, you know, to, to God be all the glory. But she did this. And I just thought maybe you could talk with her off the air and you could connect with the ministers that sent this out, if you would care to. I would love to. Uh, you know what? Um, you can call after the show or you can email me with her number. We can talk off the air then. Okay. okay, and it's at www.mormon.com, or I can call this TV20 number. You can call TV20, call after 11 o'clock tonight, and I'll answer it, and I'll be able to talk to her then or get her number. Okay, cool deal. Okay, thanks. And I just appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks, Linda. She does, too. And, and uh, <laughs> she's telling me what to say. <laughs> it's all cool. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. All right, we're going to Neva or Neva. Uh, first time caller from Tooele. Neva? Neva. Neva. N-E-V-A. I'm sorry, Neva. <laughs> um, I have read a book that was, uh, I think they called it Notarized or something, from a former Mormon that lived here in Tooele years ago. And um, 
he came to know the Lord through reading the Bible. Huh. No one talked to him about the difference between the Mormon Church and the Bible. And he came to know the Lord, and I don't know how he got this book that he gave me to read. He didn't give it to me to keep, just to read. And it said in there that uh, the Episcopal preacher, who was retired, was bored about sitting around in his boarding house, and he decided to write a book, and he made it into what is called the Book of Mormon today. And it was taken off the printing press, and somebody took it to Joseph Smith. Well, when the book came out, these people at the boarding house went to court and swore the affidavits, and they say they're in the archives in Ohio today, in the, where this printing press was, the words was taken. I mean, the book was taken, and they said this man wrote this book. Because they'd say that this man, Spalding, who wrote the Book of Mormon, had said, and here comes a came-to-pass man, and the people would scatter because they said it was so boring they didn't want to hear him read his next chapter in his book. Wow. <laughs> hey, what's the name of that book that you had uh, out in, written in Tooele? It was... Uh, uh, the Truth About the Book of Mormon. Okay. Tonight's kind of book night. We're getting a lot of book recommendations. I really appreciate your call. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we're going to Tom, first-time caller in Provo. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going, Sean? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Hey, I uh, kind of had a suggestion for you. Yeah. Why don't you get good old uh, Gordon B. Hinckley to come on the show with you. I would love nothing more, <laughs> nothing more than to have Gordon B. Hinckley on the show. I will give up tortilla chips for the rest of my life if Gordon B. Hinckley comes <laughs> on the show. Thing. Hey, I like your beard, by the way, man. Yeah, it's symbolic. We'll talk about it later. Right on. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out to my friend Derek. I think he's there. Uh, Hi, Derek. Yeah, he's here. <laughs> Hi. All right, man. God <laughs> Thanks, bless man. you, bud. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, uh, we have more. No, we're, operators are talking to some more callers. Uh, what do we talk about here? What can we talk about? Gordon B. Hinckley on the show. Gordon, I'd love to have you. President Hinckley, respectfully, love to have you sit here at the table. Our viewers would love it. Put you on the website. You can forever be uh, uh, here and say the things you think you'd like to say. I'll ask you some uh, very simple questions. I won't get mad at you. And uh, I invite you or any of the 12 apostles or any of the general authorities or any stake president or regional rep, they don't have them anymore, or bishop who has the uh, authority of the church to come on the show, to sit right here, and let's talk through this stuff. I've made some uh, requests for other LDS uh, noteworthy people to come on the show, and I have not gotten anything back. So again, uh, anybody who wants to come, uh, that would be great. Okay. Well, we uh, have some emails, but I, again, I've left them on the desk, so uh, we have two minutes left. Our operators are still trying to sort through some calls. So... What should we talk about? Anyone have any ideas? Anyone want to call? Line two, Johnny, you're on the air. Hey, listen, uh, I, I'll just make this really quick. 
Um, for people living in the Provo area, uh, there's a good friend of mine, Pastor Neil, from Provo Baptist Church. He's uh, on your website. I just want to say if anybody's ever interested in a really good Bible study, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at 230 West Center Street in Provo, he holds a very in-depth Bible study. And that's about all I wanted to say because I know the show's... Uh, about to be over, and I just want to say hello to you and, and everybody at the station. All right, Johnny. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, I, too, want to uh, say that we support uh, Neil completely at Provo Baptist Church. We're going to take one more call here. The operators got through. Hank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hank. How you doing? Hey, good. How you doing? All right. You have one minute. Okay. Listen about the reformed Egyptian. They didn't even translate regular Egyptian until the 1860s when they found the Rosetta Stone that had the three other languages on it. Uh, you know who this is, Hank. I do. Okay, man, I'm going to hang up. No, wait, Hank. Okay. I want to I tell the audience, Hank is a walking encyclopedia. The guy knows his stuff. He just became a confirmed Christian, and uh, praise God for that. Shout out to Brenda, his wife. And we're going to uh, call it a day. See you, Sean. All right, bye-bye. All right. Remember, uh, Heart of the Matter uh, airs on Tuesday mornings from 11 to 12. And the infallible word where we go through the Bible in the book of John uh, airs on Monday nights at 9.30 and Friday nights at 8.30. You can go to www.bornagainmormon.com if you want to post on the blog, if you want to watch other shows, tell your friends about it. We go live every um, Tuesday night from 8 to 9, and we would love to see you there uh, watching along with us. So, I think I'm out of material. Should we pray? 15 seconds. Mary, I love you. Uh, Malacast Delaney, see you tomorrow, and we'll see all of you guys on Heart of the Matter next week.